senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 49. It's the first episode of the new year. Yay! first episode after two weeks vacation, (laughs) one week of it being at home without having to act like a a regular human being for my folks, (laughs) which means nine straight days of savage drunkenness. Uh, I'm, I'm barely... I'm but all... like four days where your liver got a break. So how about that? Uh, yeah, it, it was resting up for the savagery <laughs> that I put it through for the last week. So yeah, I'm I'm almost oozing into my chair right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, also the first week I, I, I got a, a new microphone. I know. And, and a boom stand so I can reach... Well, tonight it's Diet Coke, because I don't think I can physically <laughs> handle another goddamn beer this week. Are you kidding? The second we're done, I'm hitting the scotch bottle. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not ruling anything out. Anything's <laughs> possible. But, I mean, yeah, yesterday we went into the day going, all right, this is the last day of the vacation where we can sleep in. So it's so we, we went out at lunchtime with full intention of day drinking, which we did. We did. And the problem is we just overindulge so goddamn much all up to and through New Year's. Yeah, I drank constantly from like 2 p.m. until midnight, and it's just, uh, I'm bored. I'm going to bed. See, you should have did what I did and given it another hour, because by about 1, I was really beginning to feel like I was back in my stride. I had digested enough of lunch, and I, I was really kind of beginning to get into the swing of things, and then I realized it was 3.30 and I should go to bed. Well, <laughs> I, don't get me wrong. I had reached the point of desperation where I was just willing to pull the fucking I don't care what happens to me anymore handle and switch into the whistle pig whiskey. But it just like, no, this seems like a supremely bad idea. I've got new equipment that I need to set up to do the show. Well, of course, it's a bad idea, but so what? Well, yeah, it's like the man said, I would never recommend it. the use of alcohol, firearms or madness, but it's generally always worked for me. But the problem is, as I, I get older, yeah, yesterday was yep, just keep drinking. Yeah, and just try to kickstart the party. However, it, it's like okay, um, yeah. let's try to get the let's put Netflix on. Okay, a two-headed shark attack. This is dumb. This will make <laughs> me want to drink more, and it made me sad. <laughs> it made me sad, but it it didn't want to make the party good. What was the other one we watched? Uh, then we watched Mecha Shark versus Mega Shark. Oh, God. Which had the girl who was on Angel for two seconds as a cop. Yeah, the detective for the first couple Kate. seasons. Elizabeth Rome okay. is the actress. Oh, good good on you for looking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Debbie Gibson in her uh, triumphant return to sci-fi. <laughs> no, her, her triumphant return to sci-fi was the other oh, asylum. Oh, was it? Okay. No, the other asylum flick where she girl fought with Tiffany. Right. And like every, <laughs> right. every buried hormone. In, is that like, the one with the octopus? I don't know. It was the one where <laughs> Debbie Gibson fought Tiffany. <laughs> yeah, I think that's also the one that's notable for blowing up Mickey Dolenz. Um. <laughs> Mickey Dolenz is dying to be blown up. He's just <laughs> screaming for it. He deserves it. And he knows. He knows what he did. For Christ's sake, you know what he did. You've got the goddamn monkeys DVD sitting over here. There's evidence in there somewhere. 
you know, just because I occasionally watch Head of My Own Volition. <laughs> I occasionally watch Head of My Own Volition. I, I have think the we're internet. talking about two different things. We totally are. <laughs> but with yours, you get to use the big TV. <laughs> you don't have to furtively skulk around. Whereas you get to use the internet in a sock. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, not my socks. <laughs> Jesus. And I'm doing laundry. <laughs> no, no, burning things, burning things. So, yeah, it's just, it's been a week of madness. I'm barely functioning, you know. Yeah, I've got the, the cool new microphone, so now my hands are free so I can operate the board so we've got access to it. like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. It's much easier to kick shit like that into there. That's very exciting. It is for me. You have no idea how excited <laughs> I am. This is like back, I really feel like I'm back when I was doing radio. I have a soundboard and these stupid cart decks and an actual boom mic. I'm feeling pretty good about things. I'm feeling pretty good about things. I'm uh, lying on this couch. Well, all right, you've got that going for you. <laughs> I have to drive this party. No, I feel good about things. I, I held to one New Year's resolution. I'm not much for resolutions because they don't typically stick, but I decided that I was going to make enough food to feed us for the week and that it was going to be healthy. And so I made chicken burgers to last us through the week. I feel good about me. And that's good. And they were they were a very good dinner. And by Wednesday, I'll be screaming for carbohydrates and alcohol. And I say, on the other hand, I realized the other day going through my contacts on my phone that I now have uh, the cell number for our local liquor store manager um, who likes to tell me when he gets new shipments of rare whiskeys so i'm pretty sure the other resolution about the less drinking not gonna stick i could have you committed <laughs> just clap you into a rubber room for a yeah, while but he can get you other kinds of whistle pig <laughs> i just want the one he's already said no that's the good one stick with that yes sir i don't need to spend an extra 50 dollars so yeah it's it's been kind of a an interesting debauched week yes i'm really going to be at my best tomorrow at the day job <laughs> you and me both but the the weird thing that occurred to us about halfway through the week is you know i came back from visiting my folks and uh we had decided early on okay the last show of 2014 yeah we'll we'll do the the crises award show because nothing's going on in comics right. everybody's on vacation well sort of by nature of how things were put together what we didn't plan on is oh shit up until the first show of 2015, everybody's still on vacation, yeah. just like us. us. <laughs> so still nothing's going on in comics. So we get about halfway through the week, it's like, we don't have shit to do a show about. We should have held off. Well, they, they did throw a teaser trailer for what was, in fact, a fun-sized Ant-Man trailer. <laughs> well, the full-size one, at least one full-size one, did come yeah. out yesterday. That's right. And uh, when it comes to te teaser trailers, man, with Ant-Man, when it comes to Ant-Man versus Star Wars, <laughs> Ant-Man sucks exactly as much as you fucking would think it would. It shows you nothing. Yeah, sure. There's yeah, nothing look. there. I have learned nothing new. Paul Rudd's in this. I knew that. Uh, yeah. And uh, look, Ant-Man's ass. I mean, <laughs> it's Paul Rudd. He's shown his ass in almost every movie he's been in. This one, it's got red spandex on it. The, the one thing we got was, all right, that looks kind of like irredeemable Ant-Man's costume as opposed to the just plain old spandex with trunks. Uh, <laughs> Scott Lang. Scott or, Lang. So, Hank Pym. <laughs> but, you know, realistically, it's like, oh, well, that was a more visually interesting costume anyway. We probably figured they would have gone with that one. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, it, it tells nothing. 
And I'm not sure if the one that was released, if it was another leak situation, uh, like it was with the Age of Ultron trailer. I where, don't think it was. So we might get some more visuals, uh, what is it, tomorrow during uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, um, Monday's the, Agent. I the, don't know when. I don't know when you're listening to this, listener. So They're dropping something during uh, Agent Carter. That's supposed to be the big... Oh, is Agent Carter this week? Um, sometime this week, I think. Possibly next week. I think it's this week, though. Okay. We set the TiVo to get that, right? Probably. Okay. <laughs> so, see, now we have a topic for next week's show. Um, and then they're also doing something on ESPN during something or other, because that makes all the sense. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if you told me in junior high school when the jocks were giving me a swirly for carrying <laughs> Batman comics around that there'd be Marvel shit on ESPN... I'd have wept and said, can it be now? <laughs> I, I'm very wet and I don't think I smell very good. But that was just a normal state. That had nothing to do with the swirly. Oh, come on. <laughs> what the fuck did I do to you? Soft pitch. <laughs> All right. I'll give it that, I suppose. But So, so yeah, there was the, the teaser trailer. But otherwise, yeah. All the comics news sites are doing the same shit that we did last week. It's yeah. like, okay, it's the week for our awards for the year. So Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we finally decided it's like all right well let's let's go retro for a week well um, it was a good week to catch up on stuff i you know notably movies yeah so we saw a lot of stuff that we didn't otherwise get a chance to get around to some of which we're going to talk about today um but i i liked um the only lovers left alive which we weren't going to talk about but just on my mind tom hilston doing like vampire stuff well, <laughs> Yeah. Um, that was interesting. It wasn't wasn't high on my list for the year because it's a Jim Jarmusch, so nothing... <laughs> I don't recall ever seeing a Jim Jarmusch movie where anything happened. So it was literally a case of, yeah, I was sleeping off a drunk on the couch and I woke up and, oh, look, it's, it's Hilda, Tilda Swinton, Tilda Swinton and Swinton. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. Two very good-looking vampires, if, if one has to be a vampire. I get the whole British skinny thing going. They look like they could probably take your jugular out because skinny. They need to eat. <laughs> I, I, I saw it when it was the hunger and there was at least a hot, sweet girl on girl scene. Okay. <laughs> it, it was okay, but... You know, to be fair, Two-Headed Shark Attack had a girl on girl scene right before they were eaten by sharks. <laughs> so it's not like you didn't have any of that this vacation. <laughs> that, all right. I suppose I got my recommended <laughs> weekly allowance, daily allowance, monthly. I don't Do I know. Do I have a girl on girl allowance? I'm... That's not something we've really ever talked about. Yeah, <laughs> and we don't have to start. <laughs> Probably now. shouldn't explore here. Yeah. So, but, um, so yeah, it was a good week to catch up on stuff. But yeah, shit, we should have done the awards this week because even last week there was like a stack of comics. This week there were like three. Yeah. So <laughs> we were almost. For a while, it felt like we were uh, we're kind of up shit's creek. We don't have anything to talk about, so yeah, we we decided to go retro. Yeah, and uh, part of the retro was, and we talked a little bit about it during the award show as Amanda was happily, well, not happily, but uh, loudly saying her most disappointing genre TV of the year was Doctor Who. Yeah, um, bit the bag. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well see, I. I look at it differently, but we'll we'll get to it in a second. It's we talked a little about it uh, during the award show. The Doctor Who Christmas special was uh, on Christmas Eve, and we sort of touched on it while we were talking about that. We we didn't talk about it in any kind of real depth. 
Yeah, it's true. So, uh, yeah, so we we had kept it on the TiVo. So yesterday we we went and rewatched it uh, during our day drunk. Uh, yeah, a very <laughs> disappointing fucking day drunk. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't have the same problems that you did with the season as a whole. Because I don't come to Doctor Who with years of continuity and history and, you know, feelings about it. I don't have any of that to stack on top of episodes. So I take them generally at, at face value as, okay, this is a kind of light sci-fi slash fantasy series. You know, and all right, whoever you're focusing on, as long as it, it, it's interesting, I don't have a problem with it. But part of that is I've only ever seen the show as an adult. <laughs> and... If you're realistic, the first Doctor Who I ever watched was uh, the Eccleston season. I've seen, I counted, five fucking Doctors in that time. Yeah. So while I consider Eccleston my Doctor because he was the first one, at best that's like 10% of the fucking Doctor Who that I've had to see. <laughs> so I don't, it's not that I don't care who the Doctor is, but oh, okay, it's this guy this time and let me take this episode at face value, which I don't think you necessarily it's not even necessarily. I know you don't do that. You've got history going back to the 80s. Yeah, and and it kind of gets back to... Remember when we went to the Batman panel at... Um, and it was Batman in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And, and it was uh, the, Mark Evanier was... I, I, I know the quote you're going to talk okay, about. We've they were talked talking, about it before. Yeah, and they were talking about, like, you know, you just acknowledge as a Batman fan that there are just some decades or arcs, but often decades yeah. of Batman that you just you just don't like <laughs> and you just write it off and you just wait <laughs> yeah and that's how kind of how I approach my Doctor Who fandom I am a Doctor Who fan there there are certain arcs and or companions and or doctors I just don't like and I wait and right now I'm, I'm just gonna wait until there's a new companion <laughs> <laughs> gonna be I am the girl who waited <laughs> You didn't like, you know, you say that, you, you didn't like Matt Smith or Amy Pond fucking either. To be fair, I've decided, um, yeah, I didn't like Amy Pond. Karen Gillan, I'm coming around on, because also, plug for Oculus. Um. <laughs> yeah, when I defeatedly went to bed last night, that's uh, what you watched while you were up until three in the morning, so I still haven't seen that. Yeah, plug for Oculus. Uh, but anyway, getting back to to this, I, I'm waiting to see what would happen if there's a doctor and a companion that I like at the same time? Cause I haven't seen that since I think Dr. Donna. Um. <laughs> you just don't like the companion. Cause you're hoping to wake up to this at some point. You want to be the goddamn. Well, no, you want to be the fucking doctor is what you want to be. Yeah. I want to be the companion. <laughs> <laughs> Your sonic screwdriver is like just a baseball bat. <laughs> Now that would be awesome. Just tune up a Dalek like a <laughs> shitty old trash can. That would be awesome. Moffat? <laughs> Moffat. Waiting. <laughs> but anyway, you were... But, it, you know, I I want to see something that is brave enough to get away from the little girl fan service. And I understand why they continue to do it. But I, I just want to see something that takes the rest of us adult fans that have been long-term fans a little more seriously. And I don't feel that we've been getting that. And and honestly, in watching, and we're going to get into more detail 
spoilers if for some reason you've been under a rock as a doctor who fan and missed the christmas episode um <laughs> spoilers santa claus is uh drawn and quartered it's terrible <laughs> in front of like a crowd of kids it's awful and then they roast rudolph <laughs> <laughs> and i laughed and laughed uh but th there was a moment in in this episode where clara was clambering under a table to get away from an alien derivative face hugger and <laughs> And and I just I'm like oh god it's Sarah Jane Smith all over again and that was the first companion I realized I fucking hated, <laughs> and she is arguably probably the most popular companion long term in the series ever. Fucking hated her, hated her. She was girl hostage, and all she ever did was like just serve to be a like damsel in distress for the doctor, and I hated her. Take, take a deep <laughs> breath. It's gonna be all right. And Clara under the table. I'm like here we go, <laughs> girl hostage. There she goes. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> it's, I don't, I don't have the same kind of problem. And I've said this before on this show. At least with this season, they gave her something to fucking do. Yeah, Danny until she killed him. Oh, that's just cold blooded. <laughs> that's very true. But <laughs> so, okay, we, we've established we've established you don't like Clara. I, I can take her or leave her. I thought they gave her a lot to do this season, so at least she was interesting. Sure. I don't know what the fuck they're going to do with her now because very clearly, you know, and it was announced that this was supposed to be her last episode. Yeah. And she changed her mind because I've said it before. I'll say it again. She probably watched what happened with Karen and Gillen and selfie and said, Oh shit, maybe I better not jump right now. Yeah. The, the market may not be right out there for me. Um, but it felt like she had a very full and complete, arc this season in that she became more and more like the doctor had more and more to do found this love on earth lost it and decided i'm just going to live my life and in this episode there was clearly what was supposed to be her ending of the doctor finally comes around to Save seeing her, her again <laughs> and she's you know 926 years old <laughs> and, if she's a day oh, of course but <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> yet another situation. And I'll agree with you on this where, where a companion, the companions just get fucked. Yeah. The end game of every companion, at least since Doctor Who came back about 10 years ago, is, and then you leave the doctor and your life just turns to shit. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, you know, with this one, when she's shown as old, she's like, oh, no, I never got married because there was never anybody as good as uh, as Danny Pink or you, it, which is basically yeah. what she says. And if you look at all of them, believe me, I went back on the Internet and refreshed my memory. Rose gets jammed into an alternate universe and is never seen again. She jammed into an alternate universe uh, with a, a human clone of, of Tenet's doctor. So that she'd leave the doctor alone, because otherwise she keeps finding rifts to get out of there. <laughs> Turning up on his doorstep like a needy girlfriend. <laughs> so a, a muttering, uh, quirky meat dildo. Okay, yeah. I got it. Um, he saves Martha one last time before he fucks off and regenerates. But but she, of all of them, goes on to having some kind of life, because she, she then like runs unit and has like interactions with Torchwood. Uh, yeah, so she at least does something. Yeah. But... Um, Donna, poor fucking Donna mind gets mind wiped. wiped you know, and she's just left to get married and <laughs> squeeze out a Welsh puppy. What is she? Where's she from? Welsh puppy sounds pretty good. 
Uh, she's from somewhere. I don't know. Welsh puppies <laughs> is a decent uh, title. Write that one down. Welsh puppies. Um, Welsh puppies. And yeah, Amy just gets chucked into the early 1900s, never to return. What? What? Uh, with um, with Rory, they're like trapped in like Depression era New York. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> or something. At least she's got that going for her. What but, happens to to River? Because I stopped caring. Well, River was never a companion, so I, I stopped caring. Okay. Um. And frankly, I never cared all that much about River. And since she wasn't a companion, <laughs> I didn't go on the internet to go, what the hell happened again? Because as I've said before, and I think we made clear from the opening of this show, I've never seen it sober. I, <laughs> a lot of times I can't remember what's going on. But I think ultimately what Doctor Who tells geeks is that particularly guy geeks, boy, if you're just quirky and goofy enough, there there ain't no woman have a normal, fulfilling life once they're, when she's deprived of your D. <laughs> It's really a healthy message for the kids. <laughs> Metaphorical D. <laughs> yeah, true. I, I still want to hear about the doctor's specific anatomy on that. Two hearts, eh? I don't want to. <laughs> I'm sure I can find a video on you porn or something. I'm sure there's fanfic out there somewhere. Dr. Goo. Somewhere on like AO3 or something. I've been hearing about like weird like slash fic sites for people that have just kink fandoms. It's Oh, I have no doubt somewhere <laughs> there's a homemade video or, yeah, at least an erotic story where it's called Galefree. Jesus. I mean, I have no doubt that shit's out there. <laughs> I write that down or will iTunes <laughs> ban us? <laughs> I, I think that'll be fine. Um, I think we can do better, but we'll, Probably we'll see what better. happens. Um, um, yeah, and I, I think um, the the problem, too, is he tends to pick up people who need something in their lives and he doesn't leave them with anything to carry with them after he goes when they had that whole um school reunion episode where they brought sarah jane old sarah jane back yeah i vaguely in an episode where uh she she and rose kind of have a sort of tense <laughs> conversation but but sarah jane actually says like you left me you bastard basically yeah and i had nothing and life sucked and and you know tenant's character took it about as well as he could he was clearly pained over it but i'm a nasty piece of work ask anybody <laughs> See, not the doctor but it could be that would have been a better response yeah <laughs> No, just butch up. It's like, hey, lady, I wasn't charging you rent. <laughs> That's actually the kind of response I would expect out of Capaldi's doctor, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. I just I had a lot of problems with Clara because yeah, she had a lot to do, but it was a lot of stuff I didn't give a shit about. She had the whole young twenty-something storyline, and a lot of it was just airheaded. Oh look, I'm making boneheaded mistakes because I'm I'm young twenty something, and you know what? I already lived that in my life. I I didn't need to see it again. Uh, there's there's a reason I don't watch Gossip Girl or any of that other stuff that is slated for that demographic where girls do that kind of thing. <laughs> well, yeah, but Stephen Moffat has made the BBC millions upon millions of dollars by catering to that demographic. Oh, I know, but I'm gonna oh I'm gonna. I'm going to lie to my boyfriend and I'm going to go off into space and I'm going to just, just try to, you know, operate people in my life on a need to know basis. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to let people call me out on my bullshit. Like, nah, it's okay. <laughs> that, which is, which is a completely valid point of view, but it's, 
I hesitate to say this because it's what half of the free world said when the Star Wars prequels came out, <laughs> which is this is a program that was originally meant for children. The fact that it doesn't necessarily appeal to someone in their <laughs> 40s does not necessarily mean it is broken. No. It, it could certainly be written more broadly it, it to does... include, to be more inclusive. I would say it does feel like it but is we, written more narrowly lately. I, I got news for you, Amanda. We are no longer in the highly coveted demographic of 18 <laughs> to 35. It's we true. left that shit a long time ago. It's true. So, yeah, we got money to spend, but you and I are individual cases in that, unlike almost all of our peers, we have no kids, which means we have money to throw around on this shit. You're not wrong. <laughs> let's let's go back. Let's start taking this episode on a on an incident by incident basis, and and you can talk about what you thought, and I will rebut well about why it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean the the episode definitely had some problems. The first of which being it went full noxin. Yes, it was. And what does that mean for the the listening yeah, audience, Rob? This is this is in uh in in house term. <laughs> Which is when Marty Noxon took over Buffy in season four. She did a ton of episodes, and even ones that she wrote before that. A ton of episodes where it was just, let's take a well-known movie and package it basically with yeah. enough things changed so we don't get sued, but package it for a TV show. Right. And this thing was packed <laughs> with references to, to other movies. I, yeah, I, I counted them. Um, where the hell did I write them down? <laughs> Hold on a minute. Um, yeah, Jesus. Okay, here we go. Sorry, I got notes all over the place. It's okay. I took my notes while I was drinking. <laughs> um, all right, so we, we almost open with uh, Shona being told, don't look at him. Keep your eyes shut. Don't look at it. Shut your eyes, Mary, and don't look at it no matter what happens. Basically that, but yeah. with these, you know, facehugger things. So yeah, that's, you know. We got a Raiders riff right there. The face crabs? Dream crabs. Dream crabs. Because, yeah, I think face crabs is an alien ripoff in Halo. But... <laughs> face crabs sounds like something that you get when you blow oh, the wrong person. In, a, in an East Texas whorehouse. <laughs> yeah, I came home with some face crabs. They're in my nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> they itch so much. Um. So, yeah, facehuggers from aliens, clearly, to the point where, yeah, that got name-checked by what's-his-face. Uh, I forget the character's name right now. Albert? Albert, sounds right. Yeah. Um, they're in an Arctic setting where you can't trust your own perceptions. That's the thing. That's the thing. Um, we've got a scene with a broken beaker that the facehugger, uh, the face crab, <laughs> the face herpy, uh, escaped from. Dream crab. <laughs> the, the dream herpy. The... Dream herpy. <laughs> So I don't have to herpy alone. Oh God! <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> the dream herpy escaped, and nobody responds to your cry for help. That's the scene where Clara was crawling under the table. Yep, that's straight out of Aliens. So we yep. got Alien and Aliens. We got dreams within dreams within dreams. That's from Inception, and I counted four different layers of dreams. Yep, which. I haven't seen Inception for a year or so. It was almost, but I want to say there were three layers of dreams in Inception. So it's almost like Moffat sat down and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do one more <laughs> just to prove uh, kick ass. So, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, did I, did I miss any? We've got the doctor 
basically dreaming almost all of it, including Clara being old. You've got, um, and, and this is not necessarily a complete rip, but they, they have a running joke about Christmas tangerines, which is pretty much a, a English-British thing, because it's not really a, a United States thing. Um, oh, yeah. Anytime, uh, anytime Santa Claus shows up, you see oranges. And it's like a Godfather thing. Are you equating? <laughs> are you equating Santa Claus with Don Corleone? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so he was behind the whole thing. Well, we're led to believe that Santa Claus is supposed to somehow be the externalization of a portion of the Doctor's um, consciousness, and that he is manifesting to to sort of lead everyone to where they need to be. Okay, and and I want to get to that in a minute, but I'm still counting the dream layers. Okay. Because I want to make sure I didn't miss any. So there was... The first dream layer that we're made aware of, in theory, is... Okay, go ahead, but I want to go from the top down, because it makes more sense to me that way. Okay, I was going to go from when Santa Claus shows up on Clara's roof, because that's the first time... Yeah, but that's really the second layer. Okay. Because the first layer is where the doctor is possibly dreaming all of this. Yes. Because he went back to find Clara at 97 years old um and realizes that's a dream. Okay. So so yeah, at that layer, uh all the action had happened and the doctor goes back and sees old Clara and says, "Wait, this is a dream too." as the gimme to get her another season and nice set of paychecks <laughs> from the BBC. Um, the second layer, yeah, is the one you're talking about, um, that includes the initial encounter at the Arctic base and Clara meeting Mm -hmm. Santa on the rooftop. Then there's the Arctic base after the facehugger attack, where they just sort of think they've been rescued by Nick Frost. (laughs) Um, and then Clara's dream of pink, (laughs) which would make an excellent name for an emo band or... (laughs) <laughs> or slash fic. Dream a little dream of pink. <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> Did I miss any? Um, I, th- I think that's about right. I mean, there. well, there's the lair within the base, and you might have already talked about this, where they all think that they're awake, but then the doctor has them read the manual for the second time, and they realize that they're not awake. And furthermore, that the sleepers on the slabs are actually them. That's possible. All right, so that may be in there, although I want to say that was part of that. Th- that was them going from the third to the second layer. Possibly. No, that may be another one. So there may have been five layers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Moffat really wanted to take Christopher Nolan on. He really, <laughs> really had a bone in her. I'll show you, you little bastard. $15 billion a picture. <laughs> Come at me, bro. <laughs> yeah, because that's a uniquely English saying, isn't it? How's the matter with <laughs> trying to appeal to that audience yeah. all right so potentially five layers of dreams yes um so i also had uh the monsters dissolving into dust might yep. be a reach but that reminded me of buffy yep um yeah uh albert if that is his real name getting <laughs> getting sucked into the screen you pointed out that video was drone. Videodrome. <laughs> i thought it was the ring but video drone makes more sense did i now that that's what i've got for just movie riff references. Did I miss any? I think, I think that's about right. 
because then the other references are more self-referential um because the, the elves and santa talk about you know how santa can get around and do as many house breaks as he can in one night and um how does he get all the toys into the into the sled it's bigger on the inside wink wink you know <laughs> well and yeah um and that was something we we talked briefly about during it it's is there any possibility that that's supposed to be just another regeneration of the doctor at this point we have history in the last year and a half of the doctor being able to see other incarnations of himself it's possible but i don't think i think that would be a, a reach although that would be a nice retirement plan to become santa claus i suppose it seems like an awful <laughs> lot of work um i think it it's more just especially when he said it's bigger on the inside that's supposed to be the the club over the head to the doctor this is an externalization of some part of your your consciousness so now take this under advisement this is a clue you're in a dream well and and didn't the eccleston version of the doctor flat out tell rose that he was fucking santa claus yeah there's and i haven't tracked it down one of the one of the doctors did something where he was santa or saint nick for a night and i forget how or why because yeah it's again i don't have the same kind of history you do but i went on the internet because i vaguely remembered that and saw stuff where the doctor has at least helped santa over the years yes. so it seems it seems a little odd his snot while i got a kick out of you know, uh, happy Easter. And even that, I'm like, no, you, you should have gone more obscure. Like, happy fucking Arbor Day. <laughs> just really grind him in the dirt. But it seems a little inconsistent. I if he's a, been crossing paths with Santa over 30, 40 years. I suppose, uh, I, I don't know that it's um, a huge movie thing, but there is a whole genre of Santa versus insert alien movies out there so just the fact that we have santa in a situation where there are these dream crabs it's you know santa versus the martians and that, that kind of yeah um and then shona has a list of of movies that may have been influencing certain things and it includes alien and aliens and then there was thing from another world and i'm not familiar with that movie yeah that was uh james arnest starred in it and that was the original thing okay uh, the so, thing is a remake uh, right. by john Carpenter. so that's where that came in there yeah okay um and yeah certainly there were moffat was smart enough to put enough nods and winks so that yeah okay we all know i'm doing this but at the same time i spent as much time playing guess the reference yeah. As I did actually... Watching the episode. Yeah, I, I found it to be more distracting than anything else. Yeah, and frankly, those guests, the, the, those nods and winks, you know, yeah, Shona's list, that was at the end of the episode. Now, at least we got the one sort of in the middle of Albert saying, kind of like the face huggers, huh? <laughs> but until you get that, it's just like, are you really just shamelessly lifting from well, and classic also, movies? In a certain, to a certain way, he's lifting from himself. I mean, the characteristics of these dream crabs, you know, don't look at them. Otherwise, you know, that's, that's when they will notice you. And that's, that's blink. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, it's the weeping angels all over again. That's, you know, and also, um, what's the silence? No, that's Buffy. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> No, I think the silence. silence? Buffy okay. was the gentleman. The gentleman, okay. The silence. Yeah. So the same sort of like, you know, they don't, you have to make eye contact with them in order to like notice them sort of thing. Yeah. Um. So it, it was either 
shamelessly referencing other movies and sci-fi or it was referencing itself. Yeah. And I found it more distracting than anything else. Yeah. And frankly, that gave me time to actually think. And if these people were sharing a dream, it shouldn't there shouldn't have been varied. <laughs> Everybody bring their own like personal dream to the thing. Yeah. So actually. You get Ashley wearing a Superman cape but no pants. <laughs> Yeah, the, the girl in the wheelchair is just doing step aerobics with a big shit-eating grin on her face, and somehow Albert's fucking all three of them at the same time, even as they're doing this stuff. Would you want Grant Morrison to write this? <laughs> no, but we'll talk about Grant Morrison in a little while. But um, the, the one other actually, the one other reference that just occurred to me twice during the episode, um, the Doctor and Santa said, "Who are you gonna call?" That's right. And How do you not end that with Ghostbusters? Yeah. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. But I mean, yeah, both times he said it, and you know, then Santa Claus shows up. It's like, oh no, I want Pete Venkman going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just by doing that twice, that should have been on Shona's list of movies. Should have been. It should have been. But um, so. All right, so we have all the various dream layers. Let's let's talk about other events and things that happened. All right, well, this episode gave Danny Pink a legit farewell. Yes. That I don't feel like he got just by being slapped into a Cyberman suit <laughs> and given a nice speech and leading a bunch of Iron Men up to blow up in orbit. Right. Um. With that said... That was a really long interlude in this episode, and I think it really proves uh, our guest last week, Trebuchet, brought up mm -hmm. the, uh, the theory, which I'm beginning to think is really true, and it kills me because I never want to say Trebuchet fucking knows a goddamn thing in the world, but that <laughs> Stephen Moffat might really know how to write Clara and Danny and not really know what to do with Peter Capaldi as the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Because what did we get in this episode in the way of character development for the doctor? Uh, he believes he has an alter ego that's Santa Claus. Yeah. That's, and that was my takeaway. And that he, that he thinks Clara is awesome. He thinks Clara is awesome, but no particular reason why. Yeah. I mean, this is, <laughs> it was totally a do over just to bring Clara back. And all right. On on that note, here's where I have to say, um, they they killed Danny off in the whole Cyberman Missy Master thing. Uh, and actually, they they killed him even before that, <laughs> sort of yeah. randomly, you know, random traffic death. It wasn't even sort of random. That's about as random as you can get <laughs> in a science fiction show, hit by bus or and whatever it was. At that point, he was arguably the most compelling and interesting character in this in the the series or or the season rather, um, because at the very least, he seemed relatively level headed and was putting up with Clara's nonsense. Yeah, gracefully. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I last week when we were talking about it, I called it a a, a fridging. You don't get a lot of male fridging. Um, <laughs> it was a fridging. It it served only to push Clara into making some decisions because of her pain at that point. Oh yeah, it's a it's a classic definition. Just yeah, 
a dude instead of a female. Right. Which I guess is progressive-ish. <laughs> To start, it's still lazy. If you have to fridge a character in order to further somebody else's development, then that's that's being lazy. I know. And then he just came back, and yeah, and then know, it's like okay, now we're gonna... and now he's back again for a dream sequence. Reanimate you, and then and again, this gets into I guess just personality wise, why I fucking hate Clara. So she has this whole self indulgent closure dream, and at the end of it, um. Once, you know, Danny says to her, you know, I'm a dream, you know, because in your when you become self-aware in a dream, you can make the character say all the shit that you want him to say. Right. Um, she it, it, Danny then says to the doctor, no, I died saving her. The rest of you all just got lucky. I'm sure that's probably true. Yeah, I'm sure Danny probably did do it out of love for Clara. But when you're basically in control of your dream at that point and you make a character say that, how fucking egotistical is that? Well, yes, <laughs> totally. Fucking bitch. Just, <laughs> well, and that's, you didn't deserve him. <laughs> and that's the other thing I, you know, and I've mentioned this. I don't know what Clara's <laughs> character arc is now. Yeah, she had a complete arc in the season leading up to this. You now she gained and lost and broke with the doctor for good reason. Yep. And now she's just back i mean i mean the, and, they, and 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 danny gave her something meaningful to do he brought some kid back who needed to find his mommy and daddy yeah and we see nothing of that i mean in, unless they pick up there to to show she was doing something meaningful and mature <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know maybe adopted the kid or something i don't know <laughs> well i mean that's a, yeah the best we can see right now from here on out that i can see is Clara chucking her life on Earth completely to follow the doctor around like he's a dead concert. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and just see herself get destroyed when she gets one too many wrinkle from off its taste or when enough stink is off Karen Gillan's TV career that she thinks she might have a shot at it. Yeah. But, yeah, and I'm wondering how much of her coming back actually is not her saying, oh, crap, I saw a selfie go down, and how much of it is Moffat going, you know, the more I think about it, I don't know what to do with Peter Capaldi. I'm sure it's a little so, column A, a little column B. Yeah, here's a big fat check. Come back for a year while I try to figure it out. Yeah. In the meantime, it just it completely invalidated a great character's death. Yeah. Not a great death, a great character's death. <laughs> yeah. And fucking poor Shona got fucked. Okay, yeah. In terms of other characters who got fucked over, it looked very much like they were, because they, they had an a bit of an ensemble going on and some characters got short shrift because of that. You know, they spent all of the commercials leading up to, Ooh, we're having a Christmas episode. And, oh, look, it's Santa Claus. I didn't see very much of him. Yeah, <laughs> didn't it, see very much of his comedy elves. They were some of the best parts of this episode. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> but you know, the, this other character that they actually spent a little time developing was this girl who worked in a shop somewhere, Shona. Who has the the list of various movies that may have influenced a large chunk of of the dream sequences? She she opens up with a very brave, <laughs> awkward white girl dance song and dance number. <laughs> Man, those British know how to move, at least when they're being bombed by the Germans. Pow! Thank you. Oh, I'll be here all week. <laughs> or avoiding face herpy crabs. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Um, you know she and she had some of the better lines in the episode. It, she. 
she just was really cool. I think she would have made a really great next companion if that's where they were going. I think they were totally setting her up to be the next companion. Yeah. Yeah, because at the end of it, the only one who's like, no, I don't want to leave this. This is awesome. We should keep in touch. Yeah. And, you know, kept a sense of humor throughout this entire situation. But, yeah, they were totally setting her up to be the next companion, at least in my opinion. Yeah, And then somebody choked and sneezed and blinked and... But that doesn't mean that we won't necessarily see her again, because we do have precedent that a character who shows up who is awesome, Donna Noble, um, in yeah. a Christmas episode, then comes back a season or so later and, and becomes the next companion. So maybe maybe Jenna Louise Coleman will get her shit together <laughs> and find another project to move on to. Again, I'm, the more I think about it, and it kills me to say trebuchet might be right, <laughs> but... It might be just as much Moffat going, okay, uh, I've got this guy Capaldi and I don't know what to do with him. It, it could be, but you know what? Take a risk. You had a really cool character there that you could have worked with. Maybe you would have figured out more more of what to do with Capaldi yeah. if you would have given him other people to interact with than impossible, boring girl Clara. <laughs> well, and yeah, the whole impossible girl part of it, that's been resolved for a while. Now yeah. she's just... Now she's just an irritating 20-something. <laughs> aren't they all aren't they all the terrible 22s <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i think ultimately to do something with capaldi they probably need to get rid of clara yeah he needs to get out of his comfort zone but because yeah i mean at this point yeah we're a season in and I really don't know a hell of a lot more about the Doctor than I knew coming into it. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I don't see where they go with Clara at this point beyond, yep, I'm pulling stakes and go with you. There's nothing for me here now. Well, his, I his... want to learn the ways of the sonic screwdriver and be a, <laughs> be a doctor like... <laughs> I don't want to say my father because then it gets creepy. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, his his overarching question for the season was, am I a good man? And he kind of answered that, but it was such a ham-handed way to get to like, all right, because you chose not to blow up the planet. Yep, you're a good man. <laughs> I still know nothing about you. <laughs> I don't blow up the planet every day. I'm a fucking hero. I live on this planet. I'm here every day. This is where I keep all my shit. <laughs> That's true. If I had a giant box I could fling into space and a nuclear button, I'd be, you know, I'm tired of you fuckers. 45 minutes to get to work. I think I'm done. But... So, yeah, those are those are my main thoughts on there. Was it enjoyable? Sure. Um, was it one of the better episodes? No. I mean, it was fun. I like Nick Frost and fucking anything. I do, too. I wanted more Nick Frost. That's that's a complaint of mine. <laughs> yeah, and that line about what you're, you're imaginary and you're here to try and save us in that line. I think you just defined me. That was fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I had some fun with it. But yeah, just the, watching the references pile up and it, it really pulled me out of it. And being forced to have this big segment in the middle of yeah, how many times a week? seen them try to give Danny Pink a goodbye. This is three now. Yeah. I think he's been dead for four <laughs> hours of television time. I want him to just come back and haunt everybody like a ghost next season. <laughs> yeah, next time I see Danny Pink, I want this. You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. I've got nothing better to do. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but, so yeah, I'm just looking at some of my other notes. Yeah, you mentioned the tangerines. As an American... If Santa gave me a tangerine, I would set man traps for the fucker next Christmas. 
I'd rather have coal or a sharp blow to the head. <laughs> I don't understand certain things about English Christmas tradition. We've got a Christmas cracker. It blows really? up. It's like a little firecracker. No, it doesn't. I watched <laughs> that thing. It sort of went pop, but it's like a, it's like jamming candy into a toilet paper tube. It's like <laughs> it, it's like a, a dirt surprise. It's the tiniest pinata. This is America. We blow <laughs> shit up. But <laughs> the one thing I noticed that first shot of the Arctic base, if you sort of took a a wider view, and I kind of like this, and maybe it was just me. It kind of reminded me of old school Doctor Who special effects because yes. it really looked like somebody just dropped some electronic looking shit into a black box space. Yeah. Like if you looked beyond the electronics, there was just nothing there. That and, and somebody was up on a catwalk somewhere with some ivory snow. Just. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of yeah, dropping stuff. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. <laughs> and. <laughs> Which yeah. again is why I I think when when they had that moment with the televisions and the character was reaching out and you you thought ring and I thought videodrome because of the level of special effects being what they are for the BBC, it's it's never going to get much better than like seventies ish David Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> so I went videodrome. Yeah, uh, which which makes sense and because yeah I was thinking the ring but yeah going into the TV yeah that's totally videodrome. Yeah. Frankly, which is more horrifying than the ring. I gotta yeah. pick that one up on Blu-ray. Which also gets into the whole like, you know, levels of reality and all that shit. So I doubt Moffat was thinking that deeply. <laughs> I'll think deeply for all of us. <laughs> oh wait, I'm farting. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm just I'm sitting here thinking if I woke up from what I thought was a dream and someone pounds on my door in disguise. <laughs> Dressed like Santa. That's not a good dream. <laughs> Who are you and how did you get in my house? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, so, I mean, yeah, it was relatively enjoyable, but it definitely had some problems. Just the don't riff on other fucking movies and TV shows. And, and if you're going to do it, don't do nine of them. Well, I spent half my time going, okay, what's this from? What's this from? Well, and even if you're winking at it and being all meta about it, it's still a distraction and it comes off as derivative. It, it very rarely comes off as as anything other than derivative. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Is the BBC announced when the next season comes out? It's always after Comic-Con, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't think they've given it's it. Like a, in the fall. Yeah, they haven't given a date yet. It's usually around August. Um, The next episode is called The Magician's Apprentice, speaking of ripping things off. <laughs> Boy, what's that from? Fantasia. <laughs> it was. Uh, I, I never saw Fantasia because when I was a child, I had Star Wars. Oh, okay. So I, I actually had a Fantasia sleeping bag. Yeah, plus, but, I don't smoke pot, so I've never had a use for Fantasia. I loved Fantasia, um, but that was like you know Mickey with like you know the the brooms that he couldn't like get under control that would like took over and he had like a wand and yes. It, no, now that you mentioned it, failed Nick Cage project. Yes, I, I know it was, <laughs> it was the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Now that you mentioned yeah. it, but yeah, I've never seen it, so it wasn't the first thing that popped into my head. I grew up with comic books, man. I didn't, I didn't have any use for fat pink hippos. Well, uh, no, not until college. Anyway. Ballerinas, but <laughs> <laughs> All fat right. pink hippos that are ballerinas. Uh, that was a shameful part of college that I tried to black out. But... <laughs> All right. So we want to move on. Sure. So yeah, the 
again with no comics news this week in the interest of going retro um and yeah we're, we're gonna talk about a six-month-old movie okay <laughs> um so yeah we, uh the one superhero-ish movie that we didn't see this summer at least that comes to mind is a uh, Lucy by Luke Basson with Scarlett Johansson. Um, we totally missed it on the initial release. Part of that was because I went and looked it up. It was released on July 25th, which was the Friday of San Diego Comic-Con. And uh, you do not go to movies at San Diego Comic-Con unless it's some kind of exclusive screening. Right. Because it's more fun to do literally almost anything at Comic-Con other than go to a movie. You know, it's <laughs> plus you don't have the goddamn energy to do it. It's true. It's a, you want There's to every to... likelihood that you will fall asleep <laughs> once you finally get in. Yeah, it's a, you want to go to a movie? Nah, I, I think I have a prior engagement to weekly sip beer and uh, whimper until my ankle stops <laughs> shrieking at me. It's like, no, I think I need to go uh, pitch a tent in the line for Hall H. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, and the week after, uh, we both had the week off. And even then, all you do when you come back from San Diego is recover for a week. Well, I, by the end of the next week that we were back we were going to guardians of the galaxy that was that weekend was that the, yeah. the following weekend okay so yeah it was kind of overthrown at least in my comic geek brain yeah and lucy yeah it was it was at our local theater for a while and it was always yeah we should go see that and just never got around to it right and part of that was it was hard to take the concept at least for me really seriously and i recognize any superhero origin story is kind of stupid if you stop and think about it more than 10 seconds yes you know, oh you were bitten by a radioactive spider you're gonna get cancer and die um two words plastic man well <laughs> <laughs> okay and yeah particularly the golden age heroes don't hold up very well yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. the flash was hit by uh hard water <laughs> all right so everybody in upstate new york's running around at high speed but yeah it's I know the whole 10% of the brain conceit is bullshit. You know, yes. And you know, the whole you know, the thing they showed in the trailer, oh, when we get 20%, we can control other people, which sounds great, except Morgan Freeman, he's talking about natural evolution, which means that everybody would be using 20% of their brains and would likely be pissed off if passersby tried to make them piss their own pants. and Drop trow. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, sort of in my head, it was, uh, all right, this is kind of a dumb idea. But crossing against traffic, which is already a kind of entertaining experience. <laughs> yeah. And even, much more. And even if this idea wasn't bullshit, I've killed like 38% of my brain with whiskey. So, <laughs> we got a power fantasy that's never, ever going to apply to me. So. Yeah. But and, and part of the other problem was I like Luke Basson as a director, but I like him when he does crime and yes. when he does action. The Professional is one of my favorite movies of the 90s. I love The Professional. And I like La Femme Nikita. The Fifth Element, and I, I know I'm probably stomping on some people. Oh, it's one of the great... It, it just never appealed to me. I thought it was silly. See, I enjoyed it cause, because, yeah, I didn't take it seriously. <laughs> and maybe that's my problem, but knowing who the director was, it's like, cool, he's doing science fiction. It was just uh, too silly and goofy and... Let's take a step back. The fifth element is love. <laughs> See, you can't even, you like the movie. You can't keep a straight face. That bullshit. I'm not saying it's high art. I'm just saying it's, I find it enjoyable to watch every now and again. I mean, I'd feel better. The fifth element is pizza. The fifth element is 
vulcanized rubber, almost anything, but the fifth <laughs> element is love. I would have might have walked away with a bigger smile on my face. The, the fifth element is double-sided tape. I mean, how else did she keep that bandage costume on? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so also fine. And yeah, it's a, what's her name who played, was it Lilu? Mila Jojovich. Yeah, she's easy on the eyes, but I can get that almost anywhere. <laughs> Two-headed shark. Yeah, and Chris... Chris <laughs> Chris Tucker shrieking at me for 15, 20 minutes. It, it, yeah, just the, the movie didn't do anything for That's me. That's okay. Not everything is for everybody. So, yeah, Luc Besson doing science fiction again. It's like, eh, all right, I'll, I'll get to it. And, yeah, we finally did get to it. Um, and having watched it, I believe the theme of the movie is, hey, kids, doing experimental drugs will make <laughs> you a fucking superhero. <laughs> no, I think that the subtext of it was, um, hey, kids, um... Sometimes you might find yourself in a situation where you have to mule drugs and then somebody kicks you in the stomach. Um, if you're lucky, you'll get superpowers. <laughs> All right. Can we start with that? Because that was the dumbest <laughs> drug smuggling plan in human history. <laughs> it is the least efficient way to smuggle, particularly this shit, that anybody could think of. Hi, airport customs agent. My name's Lucy, and yes, I appear terrified. And I do seem to be bleeding profusely from the fucking abdomen. But funny story, I'm carrying this brand new drug, a drug that is so new, it is not known and therefore subject to any country's controlled substance laws. I just thought it would be easier to carry this completely legal substance in my stomach, in my abdomen. And you know... It's you know I know it's ridiculous because remember when she's on the plane and she starts to get stroke face yeah and like disintegrate she runs in the bathroom she's got a bag of the shit in her open tote bag that nobody <laughs> took away which yeah is convenient. how did that get in there I don't even remember how that got in there oh because that's the stuff um when uh, she escaped from oh, the Chinese yakuza okay. she uh, had the cab take her to the hospital and they took it, it out. out of her yeah. okay. So she had half a bag of it. Okay. Which is really convenient for the flight attendants on that, because otherwise they'd have to swiffer the shit out of that seat. But <laughs> So, yeah, on the face of it, this whole smuggling thing, if you even stop and think about it, it's... It was a poor conceit. Because, yeah, I mean, you hear about it on the news here in Boston all the time. It's a constant, you know, oh, we tweak a molecule and we can sell it at Cumberland Farms and 7-Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So... And this is supposed to be some sort of naturally occurring enzyme that happens during pregnancy that they just made Uber. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, <laughs> the, the whole, the, the nuts and bolts of, I mean, I suppose it's a sad thing where you say, oh, the nuts and bolts of drug smuggling in this movie <laughs> about somebody with complete brain control who becomes the all being time, you know, yes. master of time and space. <laughs> that's the silly part. But um well i mean it was it was an interesting take though in terms of like all right so what would happen if you start to get these superpowers and well the yeah. action sequences were entertaining at the very least well yeah the closest i could find to a superhero style theme to the movie is the kind of theme we've been seeing from alan moore and others for years which is if you become more than human, you're also becoming inhuman. Right. You, know, you see it in Dr. Manhattan and Miracle Man. So Alan Moore has been doing this shit for years. Uh, and there was a certain amount of that in there. You could see Lucy struggling to 
remain human. That's yeah. part of why she kept uh, the the French cop, uh, Captain Del Rio, around. Said you're a reminder. Yeah. Um, so yeah. here's an interesting subtext then <laughs> for just Scarlett Johansson's career. So she she's turning into something that is post human here. In her, she plays a computer operating system. Um, in Under the Skin, she plays an alien. In Avengers, she plays a Russian. So she's just doing the Daryl Hannah track in terms of things that are not quite human. Yeah. And it okay. worked well for Daryl <laughs> Hannah for about seven years. But yeah, it's Scarlett Johansson gives good almost a person. <laughs> That's awful. That's a terrible thing to say because she's awesome as Black Widow and she was good in this. Yeah. And she was good in her. But yeah, the... The recurring casting she was is the most human I, I I've heard her and I have to say heard her was in her. Yeah, because <laughs> otherwise there's this sort of weird flat affect. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm sure she's a delightful person, but it, I don't know. She's delightful. She could be a douchebag. I have no fucking <laughs> idea. She's not returning my phone calls. <laughs> she's not going to return them now. Yeah, but but yeah, she's good as almost a person. <laughs> so. But, Which is, yeah, I guess what, what made Lucy work. She was almost a person. Well, <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, as soon as she got kicked in the Heisenberg blue, we're definitely in the post-Breaking Bad world. All yeah. the cool drugs are blue, blue. crystal. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, it, and it sort of worked with the, the, the overall superhero-ish theme of it. Um, of trying to maintain human because she listens to Morgan Freeman. Yeah, it's like okay, I'll try to pass on my knowledge before I die. Um, that said, remember the sequence where she's on the phone and on the TV with Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Um, they're trying to explain that she's everything and everything you believe about math and physics is wrong. She sounded exactly like my college buddy Alf after he <laughs> ate a half a bag of mushrooms. <laughs> Except she didn't stop every like two minutes to go. Did you just see the wall catch on fire? <laughs> so, she, she's too busy becoming post-human. <laughs> yeah, but and the the most human thing I think she did was when she took the uh, the big transfusion of all the rest of the drugs to hit yeah. that hundred percent to crack the cells open or whatever the fuck sure. justification they came up with. That's totally human hubris of eighty six percent just isn't gonna cut it. I had to chase that dragon. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah. Ultimately, it, it this movie also had some of the same problems that uh, Fifth Element had. It was sci-fi trappings to wrap up what really is ultimately an action flick. Yeah, you know, I, I say these themes about trying to remain human as a superhero, but this is not really a superhero. It, it's an action flick. Yeah, it took itself a little bit more seriously than the Fifth Element did, so it worked better for me. I just I did not buy into the sort of goofy, campy shit that was in Fifth Element. It was really more of a character study uh, that that was played out to movie length, I think. In terms well, of, you better explain that because again, we've described her as barely a person. <laughs> but no, like, all right, so here is a thing that happens to Lucy. Yes, and and here is how it affects Lucy over X period of time. Not so much. I mean, yeah, there are other incidental characters, but yeah, it's it's really more about just Lucy's journey and everybody else's inc incidental character sketch. That is true. I can sort of buy that, but the character at the core of that, they're just 
there wasn't a lot of character there to begin with. The, the most, I, in my opinion, the most human thing she did was uh, when she called home to her mom. <laughs> well, I mean, Jesus, even that. <laughs> if, if I was in a foreign country and I called my mom and said, I can feel everything and I remember the taste of your milk, my passport would be revoked <laughs> and I'd be on a plane home to be clapped into a rubber room so fucking fast. Yeah. So. I'm not saying it was a good conversation. With it. She she wins out for like the most awkward conversation I think one can have with one's mother. Particularly yeah. Like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it was a natural human reaction to, all right, I'm scared. I need my mom. Well, it, yes. And, and I can buy into that. But it was just, you know, oh, Jesus, really? You're saying this to your mom? <laughs> Yeah, I would not get away with that. Yeah, the the trust fund would be rescinded. Uh, folks would be called home. <laughs> yeah, but... I don't have a trust fund. <laughs> well, shit, I've been pissing money away like you do. I wish you told me before that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I, I said a minute ago, it, it takes itself more seriously uh, than the fifth element. There's also a certain downfall to that because you can clearly see... The I want to be 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah. When the, the whole time travel sequence thing. Yeah. Well, right, she's swiping time along like it's fucking Tinder. Well, <laughs> yeah. And right out of the gate, the, the little cuts to like Lucy the Australopithecus and, you know, the, the nature, you know, nature things. It, it just sort of, it, it didn't work for me. It was a little heavy handed. It was heavy handed. It was showing stuff that we already kind of new you know when we show lucy the australopithecus we know that lucy's going to be the first of a new race we watch the fucking trailer yes you know and when we see the the mouse trap is uh richard the greasy meth head <laughs> trying to convince her to go in to uh to make the drop of the drugs we don't need to be told that the greasy meth head is bad news yeah. we've seen movies before we, yeah. we know what a greasy meth head we know that from living <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, when it, when it got to the, got to the end, you know, her, the white space with the doctors and yeah, her looking through history, it it was totally the whole. It was kind of matrixy, white, big blank white space. Visually, yeah, but it, it was clearly trying to get the, uh, Dave Bowman. Yeah. You know, being sucked up and turning into the star child. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is fine, but I caught what the reference was. And quite frankly, if Stanley Kubrick had ended 2001 with Dave Bowman in the hotel room as some Yakuza with a 45 <laughs> walks up behind him, hoping to catch him unaware, people would be worshiping fucking Logan's Run in film school right now. <laughs> but... So, yeah, as a superhero movie, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really a superhero movie. I think at the end of the day, she she got augmented powers, but it wasn't a superhero movie. It, she wasn't really a hero beyond heeding the advice of Morgan Friedman, Freeman to uh, upload herself into um, wherever. <laughs> yeah, which was a full <laughs> star child by way of a Sony Ericsson flip phone everywhere. <laughs> But, yeah, and as a superhero movie, it was 
not awesome because <laughs> that, that's why I kept saying it was an action movie as opposed to a superhero movie. The minute you've got the trick of, oh, all my adversaries I can knock unconscious by blinking. Yeah. That's all you really need. The rest is just to keep cool shit going on visually to yeah because at that point once you once you can knock people out by thinking about it um you you've overcome all of your struggles there's there's no hero's journey there there's <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the it still kills me when she hits 100% her biggest power is she starts turning to goo and crawling <laughs> across the floor and it, uh, it, as that starts happening, it's like, oh, she's going full Tetsuo. Yeah. <laughs> and Morgan Freeman is like, you know, the, what's she doing? Oh, she's extracting energy from matter. I don't care how smart you are. You've never seen that shit before. You have no <laughs> fucking idea what she's doing. The real answer to what she's doing is she's grossing me the fuck out is what she's doing. That's not awesome. All right. So in summary. <laughs> in summary, it was, you know, it, it got a certain amount of attention in geek press is being you know oh an independent superhero movie i'm not sure it really holds up to it if, no. if there was anything there that really would appeal to superhero fans it's a theme that you know we've been seeing for years and years and at least since the 80s in comics which is being a superhuman means that you're not human anymore yeah yeah and at least in this it showed a struggle against it as opposed to when Alan Moore does it really sort of a foregone conclusion of, yeah, you're just going to slide down that slope and not be a person anymore mm -hmm. after a while. At least Bassan was smart enough to build himself in. All right. It, she's got 24 hours. She can't become too fucking inhuman <laughs> in 24 hours. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. I'm glad I finally saw it. Yeah. I'm glad I was able to locate it this week with no comics news. <laughs> so it gave us something to talk about, but yeah, I don't think I'll be dialing it up on the streaming services again. It was okay. Yeah. I'm glad I saw it. That's about it. Yeah. So, anything else? That's, that's on Lucy. Not on Lucy, no. All right. How are we doing on time? Oh, we are at um an hour and 9 minutes. My god, we make them in under 2 hours oh this week. Oh my god. Why don't we talk about some actual comics Sounds of which good to me. there were 3 this week. <laughs> we'll talk about two of them. Which okay. one do you want to do first? Um, since we're talking about post-humans, why don't we start with Miracle Man? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, disappointing post-humans. Yeah. All right. We'll talk Miracle Man. Um, <laughs> all right. So yeah, the, uh, all new Miracle Man annual one, the first new Miracle Man in canon stories since 1993, I think. Yes. Um, there were two stories in it. Uh, first one, uh, written by Grant Morrison with art by Joe Quesada. Yep. Uh, second one written by Peter Milligan, uh, art by Mike Allred. Just yep. start with the first one, then move on to the second one. Sure. All right. So the first one, first story, such as it is. The first story, <laughs> here, here, here's what I took away from it. Pretty much every text box was something that seemed to riff, riff on the idea of a dream of flying. <laughs> yes. Yes. Second thing I took away from it was um and that was because i read the stuff in the back well let's take a step back first this is the this is the story that grant morrison supposedly wrote in the early 80s and he wrote it for warrior magazine which and is it was where... supposed to get uh he was trying to get alan moore's blessing and he wouldn't give it right right so the timing on this um would have been yeah early 80s because warrior went under end of 84 early 85 yeah so this would have been 
Yeah, probably right around Dream of Flying, Red King Syndrome, maybe. Yeah. Um, but every single one of those text boxes, it felt like... <laughs> yeah, no, it was, he was definitely going for and reproducing reasonably well Alan Moore's sort of style at that time. Yeah. It Spoiler, um, it's, it's the coming of Kid Miracle Man. I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> who... Um, does not handle his power responsibly in contrast to <laughs> yeah <laughs> other when we talk about uh what it means to to get power and then become no longer really human <laughs> yes and kid miracle man was really really the first case it's case study ground zero yeah for that um and the way that Joe Quesada chose to draw him apparently came from a picture of Grant Morrison. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> when he uh, had hair. Yeah, Morrison uh, was has always been a big Beatles guy. Yeah. We're talking about the guy who in The Invisibles referenced John Lennon as a god. Yes. And like not just, you know, not like a Clapton is God kind of thing, Used John Lennon as a modern god <laughs> yeah. in the story. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> about three years ago, released a song that he says John Lennon gave to him from beyond the grave. <laughs> so sure. Morrison's a Beatles guy. And from the, uh, from the director's cut stuff, and I've bitched about this on this show before. Yes. Can we stop having... Regular length comics with 10 or 15 pages of director's cut horseshit thrown at the back that nobody really cares all that much about. Yeah. And selling me a $4 book for 5 or $6. You know what? Honestly, here, here's my feeling is Marvel has gone out of their way to create this whole like AR thing where you f- take your digital device and you wave it over a page are they even still doing that because i've not the last time i think i saw that was in like thor one like the new thor um i because honestly i haven't been paying attention that much with the other books but that's the last time i remember actively seeing it and trying to access some of the the material okay um but here's a case where instead of doing that kind of crap with the director's cut back matter stuff why not have here's where you swipe digitally and if you want the content, go get it. Well, I mean, they've been doing it with every issue, and I can see why they are dealing with the temptation and succumbing to the temptation to do it. Miracle Man has such a reputation over the years of being this great classic. So, yes, we'll... And it is. I love Miracle Man. <laughs> We've talked about this on the oh, yes. show. I've got every... Eclipse issue, including Miracle Man 3D, including Miracle Man Apocrypha. I've got the Komoda, the Miracle Man companion that's been out of print forever. Yes, it is a classic, but at the same time, sketch art, you know, old pencils and stuff, you know, oh, here's how it was colored before and here's how it's colored now. It's just, it's not that interesting. I suppose to a certain segment of the population that reads comics, it probably is interesting, but yeah, not everything is for everybody. And again, that's why I'm arguing if you're going to have this technology that lets you go like do augmented stuff, this is where you use it instead of charging people an extra dollar for stuff that they may not necessarily want. Yeah. Make it a value added thing that's in there if you want it. Yeah. And yeah, don't charge me an extra buck. 
it just this was not a five this is a 20 this comic book had 22 pages of story yeah that's, that's two, not an annual yeah it's <laughs> two extra pages from your standard comic book and still it was five dollars right because <laughs> literally it was here's the pencils from every page that you just fucking read and here's the original morrison script of 12 pages <laughs> and a bunch of a-holes i can't stand it <laughs> You know, and I, I enjoyed reading the Grant Morrison story. It all right. Well, Kid Miracle Man's dick. Got it. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, and that's the that's the problem that I had with it. This, the entirety of of what this shed on Kid Miracle Man that maybe we didn't already know is okay. Between that 1963 a bomb that they used to try to kill the Miracle Man family that he escaped in the two years. Uh, he somehow found the Beatles and was reading Nietzsche and the Bible. Yes. And that's all we learn. Well, there's something going on, though, that in the larger sense, thematically with the whole annual around, you know, just just how dire do you want it to get Miracle Man, basically, is is what one of the characters says to him in the All Red story. And well, because that one, conversely, you know, sort of plays on the the late fluffy side of the 1950s and 60s stories right that's it's uh, yes all right um so it makes me wonder when they start getting into new miracle man stories where they're gonna go well this feels like a harbinger well (laughs) it, it is because yeah neil neil gaiman's three story arcs are the Golden Age, the Silver Age, and the Dark Age. When something ends with the Dark Age, <laughs> we're not going to end with Mick Anglo and Holy Macaroni. We're just not going to do it. So there won't be any My Little Ponies. Um. Well, I suppose anything's possible. <laughs> um, we 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 got a lot of uh, Andy Warhol. That's <laughs> but so we'll we'll talk about the the Milligan story in a second. Okay. Um. That true. This, it was it was Alred Art Milligan's story. Yeah. Um this one, beyond that little revelation, this is nothing but a mood piece. And yeah. it got the mood of Kid Miracle Man and what it's like to be around him down, but again, it just fills in that one blank of what he was doing for two years. I was reading I was reading <laughs> and listening to forty fives. I'm clearly an arch villain. But it it shows shows Kid Miracle Man as casually murderous. Yep. Which we knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, shows him as arrogant, which we knew. And on his way into London, where we knew he was going to fucking go. Yes. You know, the beyond that, I was reading Revelation. The only really interesting thing to me was it sort of maybe foreshadows the events of Nemesis, mm-hmm. Miracle Man 15. Well, I... How do you not think of that? Because it then says he's on his way off to London. Well, yeah, but he he wound up in London anyway, and this is far before. You know, this is 1965. It's 20 more years before Nemesis happens. More than 20, because that's that was released in 1988. Yeah. Um, but again, it's kind of interesting in that it foreshadows that, even though if this was written for Warrior, uh, that story never came out for Warrior. I don't think it was ever planned for Warrior. It was certainly never a part of Alan Moore's original pitch for Miracle Man, which, again, I went and looked it up. I've got Komodo the Miracle <laughs> Man companion. I read it. It didn't go that far. Um, but 
so it, it's interesting that it sort of brings that out. It's you know Morrison at least thought of himself as a more protege. Maybe more had told him, yeah, here's where it's. I think it's gonna go. Yeah, but well, I mean, I guess since all right, see, here's where where I don't have the benefit that you have in terms of the full immersion in the Miracle Man experience. So I'm taking these stories on an issue by issue kind of situation. So this is, you know, this was new to me. Um, I mean, it was new to everybody because nobody else had read it yet either, but I know cursorily of Miracle Man 15. I was there when, when you tracked it down on eBay that fateful night. Just shit faced and (laughs) stalking that high bid. Um, but you know, where, where I've got like, you know, the Doctor Who years and years and years of fandom, you've got the years and years and years of fandom for this. Right. So you're going to be coming at this from a different, place yeah in my mind i'm like oh yeah london he goes to london because he blows up london <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah that's that's just where my brain went and i was like oh okay <laughs> Wait, well, honestly what it made me you know in terms of like tone and writing and everything else I, it made me want to go read hellblazer <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> like oh i miss i miss really good british horror stories boo <laughs> <laughs> well jesus i've got the first two miracle man marvel trades uh, in the other <laughs> yes but like in my mind i'm like ah i want to go read something old that, that <laughs> like, long box right over there you can read the eclipse issues just be careful that. <laughs> but yeah it was it was interesting to me in that okay yep it, it did sort of foreshadow miracle man 15 and was more interesting to me in the sense that wow it does that even though morrison didn't necessarily know yeah that was what was going to happen but so yeah we got this short little story where he kills one dude, but it's no Miracle Man 15. It doesn't tell us anything really new about the character. It may have at the time, mm. if it had come out when it was supposed to, yeah. to really indicate, you know, the on his way to London may have been far more resonant if it came out in 1985 and then in 1988 you read Nemesis. Yeah. But the timing right now, it was just, hey man, here's an excuse to have him in a beetle suit and let Joe Quesada draw it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really, it didn't do anything for me. As a mood piece, yeah, I was all right. It caught the mood all right. It didn't add anything new to Miracle Man. I, I, I'm going to agree with you in, insofar as I, I don't have anything to add to it. Like I said, I, I read it and my brain went, oh, London, sure. But yeah, I mean, in your your explanation makes more sense because then it's like, all right, so what? He goes to London, like pulls his shit together for twenty years, and then then implodes. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, and that was the other thing for, and I wasn't going to bring this up because, it, it, again, I read the original pitch again today. Yeah, yeah, you know, trying to see, you know, figure out where the timing worked and if Morrison could have known what was going to happen, but in. But we didn't see it in the comics because we we first see Kid Miracle Man in the comics in the second issue, mm-hmm. and he's already batshit insane and right. ready to start tuning up. <laughs> at least McMorrin. Yeah. Um. But yeah, in the original pitch, it was years and years of power slowly corrupting Johnny Bates, got him to the point where he could do something like Nemesis, and for within two years. To have him just be casually murderous and smacking <laughs> priests to death on the beach. That's a fairly high level of murderous almost anywhere you go. If yeah. You, you know, it, 
30 years before, you know, before the priest molestation. So if you kill a priest, you're probably a dick. But, At that point in time, yeah. But uh, it seemed a little abrupt to me. Yeah, for it, it, Moore's original intention was probably more similar to Dr. Manhattan, which was years of being a superhuman removed Johnny Bates's humanity and yeah. his sanity. For it to be that immediate really kind of felt a little off for me. And I wasn't going to bring that up because you don't see it in the comics. I had a little indicator of it because I've got this out of print book from right. 15 years ago or whatever. But yeah, no, I, I, I think it's good that it's out in the world so people can read it, but yeah, it's true. Where did, since it was never published when it was supposed to have been published, what would the larger implications have been? Now it feels just sort of, sort of like this weird apocryphal story. <laughs> yeah. And and that's fine, but this one, and frankly, the Peter Milligan story, I took on the same level as the Miracle Man Apocrypha miniseries. Yeah. You know, I got them because I'm a completist. I'm glad I read them. I can only remember one or two of them off the top of my head. None of them were essential. Okay, fine. That was an interesting diversion mm -hmm. for the love of fuck. Can we get back to Neil Gaiman's new stuff? <laughs> <laughs> that if the timing is right, we should start getting end of this year, beginning of next year? In theory. So... Millian's story reminded me of Moore's run on Supreme, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, because when Moore did Supreme, he was definitely name-checking Silver Age Superman. Yeah. And these would have been Silver Age era comic books. Right. So this sort of, you know, hey, have you ever noticed that, like, no matter, like, how much we tune people up, there's no blood, guts, and gore? <laughs> hey, try not to think about it too much, chum. <laughs> <laughs> Holy macaroni. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... There was some good stuff in this. The The first problem I had with it is n nobody, particularly <laughs> nobody in the United States, gives a fuck about pre-Alan Moore Miracle Man. True. Nobody cares. Marvel tried reprinting those while they were locking down the rights to Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman stuff, and nobody fucking bought them. Yep. You know, it might mean something to a late middle-aged English dude like Peter Milligan. I bought this on the outskirts of Boston. I don't give a fuck. But, you know, it's funny, and it makes sense to have Allred draw it since he's doing Batman 66. <laughs> well, yeah, and his clean, simple line, cartoony style really yeah. matches Silver Age style stuff. So it's it's a great style for this kind of story. And Milligan and Allred have done great work together back yeah. to Ecstatics. Ecstatics and X-Force. Right. So it's cool to see them working together again. Yeah. So I've got no problem with the choice of art on this. It looked like an old Mick Anglo story. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> nobody cares about the Mick Anglo story. It's got some resonance if you take it as a story of the modern Miracle Man inside the simulation mm -hmm. that Dr. Gargunza had them in. Uh, and that's sort of where my brain took it. Like, this is a story within a story, and and they're knocking on the wall of that reality, but they don't want to quite acknowledge that next step. Yeah, and the final two or three panel fade that sort of zoomed in to show the color dots. Yeah, that's supposed uh, to be reminiscent of an earlier issue. Yeah, God, I want to say that was from A Dream of Flying. It was. Um, they talk about that in the uh, back pages. I don't fucking care about the back pages. <laughs> um, but yeah, none of that was explicitly stated. 
again, which is fine. I was willing to take that at face value. I particularly liked Miracle Man flying down a shattered Main Street. Yeah. You know, which was kind of reminiscent of Nemesis, you know, particularly in having young Nasty Man be the one tearing stuff up. So, okay, you've got sort of a kid Miracle Man yeah. name Interesting. check. Yeah. So, and I, I like the little nod of he remembers his magic word from reading a newspaper about Russia blowing up atomic bombs. Yep. You really don't get less <laughs> Silver Age happy than Russian nukes. But especially, oh, thank God I read that newspaper article about that red atomic program. <laughs> yeah. But oh, and this is one thing that bothered me. These are the first new Miracle Man in canon ish yeah. stories since yeah. 1993. Do you think maybe. Somebody could proof the book for fucking printing errors before it goes out. <laughs> I don't know if you know, page 14, so the second or third page of the Milligan story, all the colors are fucking washed out. The print is a lot fucking lighter. I saw that, but I thought it was read. on purpose because of like this weird uh, mist or whatever. I honestly, like, I, I my brain explained it away by. They're, they're supposed to be in hiding here, and that's why you can't quite see it clearly. Which which was my initial thing, but it, it was just, it seemed like a few panels, and including making the the print harder to read. I could see it if it was just the art. Yeah. But the fact that also the lettering was hard to read, it was just, I gotta believe this is a fuck up. Impossible. Yeah. It was wrong and you knew it! <laughs> so... But I didn't. I didn't want to. <laughs> Either way, it's the fact I had to stop and think: Is this an artistic choice? Did somebody fuck up? It's a, okay. There was, there was a somebody made a bad choice there or missed something there, and it just it bothered me. Um. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it it was okay. Ultimately, that's that's all I can say about it. It it was it was okay. The subtext worked better than the actual story because the actual story was just an old Miracle Man story, like from the 50s or 60s, and it's not something that interests me. That's valid. You know, the and the subtext of, yeah, how dark do you want it? Well, it's not going to get a whole lot darker than <laughs> London's been destroyed and there's fucking human heads on clotheslines. Right. Yeah, I see, again, I, I'm not as entrenched in the Miracle Man fandom, so, yeah, I read them. And I enjoyed them, and that was pretty much the end of my reading experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, neither of these upset me. They, they were okay. Uh, Morrison's story, like I said, pretty decent mood piece. Yep, this is certainly how Johnny Bates is, particularly if you have no idea of Moore's original intention of, no, it took years for him to yeah. become insane. Um, yeah, this... The, the the Milligan story, you know, yeah, as a light story, but the darkness starting to come into it, it's, yeah, it was fine, but you know, I, I take it along the, the same lines as, you know, like I said, Miracle Man Apocrypha and 3D. They're not essential. I'm glad I got them. I'm glad I read them. I'm probably not going to dig this issue out again. That's okay. Let's get to the second issue of the Silver Age, for Christ's sake. I've been waiting <laughs> years for it. Okay. But yeah, it's it's certainly not an entry point. If you've not read any Miracle Man and say, oh, I'll get this one. No, do yourself a yeah. fucking favor and get the Dream of Flying hardcover. Start yeah. where you're supposed to start. Yeah, people. Yeah, as as a sort of side thing, this is fine. But certainly not 
I don't know. It's then that's a problem when you got a comic book that's been lost for twenty years. You want everything to be awesome, and yeah. you got to take a step back and go. Not everything was fucking awesome. Was it Miracle Man seven or eight? Where more fell behind, so Eclipse just dumped out a book of fucking reprints. Well, so now now you can look forward to there's gonna be decades of Miracle Man that you don't care about. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right. So we'll get to the second book that, and I swear to God, if you'd told me a couple of weeks ago, yeah, there's going to be a, a book based on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a new Miracle Man, which one are you going to be more excited about coming out of if you told me the fucking S.H.I.E.L.D. book? Well, all right, let's 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 start with, it's written by Mark Wade. Yep, it's S.H.I.E.L.D. number one, written by Mark Wade, art by Carlos Pacheco. And I enjoyed this book, although I'm not sure what time it's supposed to be falling in because there's still an active director, Maria Hill. Yeah, it's, well, first of all, it says right on the cover, this is inspired by the TV series. Okay. So this is not you know, the comic adaptation of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Got it. A lot of the same characters, uh, almost all the same characters, but yeah, this is firmly entrenched in the 616. Yep. So, so yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard to separate from the TV show, but, but yeah, I, I think you have to completely separate it from it. This is happening in the Marvel universe. Yes. Yeah. Phil Coulson is not the head of shield the way he is in the TV show. He's the special ops Supreme commander. But then they do goofy stuff like at the end where they have the, the little, um, fits, um, cartoon in the back where he's got his monkey uh, AI system. <laughs> yeah. And the first thing the monkey does is Colson's still alive. So how are you supposed to? <laughs> it's because those are one page literal cartoon strips that are not part of the story. They're just nifty additions. I too will never be able to use a hundred percent of my brain. Well, Damn you party liquor. Yeah, I was, was going to say, you're using about 70% of it for booze storage. What do you fucking want? But, um, so yeah, this is not the TV adaptation. He is the head of a particular unit of Shield. He wears the Marvel Shield unitard. Yeah. So this is a Marvel comic. That said, I'm not completely sure if it's full Marvel six one six continuity because if it is, somebody needs to connect Mark Wade and Alice Cott, who's been writing Colson and Secret <laughs> Avengers. With massive PTSD and was just in a fucking Mexican standoff with Hawkeye in the last issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I, I think it is because we saw glimmers of characters that are in continuity right now. Like Lady Thor was briefly in there. And I know she's not Lady Thor. She's actually Thor. But whatever. Yeah, she's and, in there. And Iron Man was in the superior yeah. Iron Man armor. So I, I believe it is in full Marvel 616 continuity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I will say the best thing about this is Mark Wade gives Phil Coulson more human backstory in 31 pages. Oh, absolutely. Than he got in two Iron Man movies, a Thor movie, an Avengers movie, and a season and a half of his own fucking television show. And let's talk about this for a second. 31 pages. This isn't even an annual. This is just a, an issue one. <laughs> yeah. 31 pages and the extra stuff is another fucking cartoon strip. Yeah. Legitimate content. Yeah. Not big content, legitimate fucking content. Yes. 
Yeah, and have I got the book? Hold it's on. It's underneath those pages there. How much does this cost? <laughs> How much I... does it cost? Let's see. Uh, it's... Yeah, five bucks. All right. Same cost as... Uh, but all content. Yep. All relevant content. All killer, no filler. <laughs> it's Rocktober at the crisis. Oh, God. <laughs> what can I say? Having the boom mic brings me Please, back to my DJ days. Tell me, Rob, are we about to have a hairband weekend? <laughs> Says he's an a-hole, but he's not, and I'm quoting him here, 100% a dick. I am 100% a dick. <laughs> but... Um, he is 100% of something. Yes. So, um, but yeah, it's, I, I love that Coulson was doing what amounts to sabermetrics, fucking um, stratomatic, stratomatic stats yeah. <laughs> on superheroes. If there was such a game, I would play that fucking thing. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure there must be somewhere. I'm not going to play Hero Clicks because my shelves are already covered in <laughs> superhero shit. I don't have room for those things. But yeah, if there was a, Full on, I would probably play that game. Um, but it's also that little detail is completely consistent with him being a Captain America fanboy yeah. like we saw in the Avengers. Uh, and I love those early pages where he's dealing with um, you know, Submariner and, and Captain America. And, and those are the things that he's taking down his stats on because it reminded me of um, the Marvel's comic book that came out years ago yeah like the art really called back to even in like little tiny bits in the panels <laughs> yeah, <I can> see <laughs> that, that book <laughs> yeah um so that was just kind of a neat like fanboy check <laughs> yeah um and it was a, a good detail that when he was being kept captive that he kept himself sane by not just remembering every member of the x-men but that the order in which they joined the X-Men. Yeah. But the the best one was the last setup panel in that first couple of pages where he clearly has learned so much about these heroes and knows them so well <laughs> that he can whip the shit out of them at poker. Yeah. Like he can get into their heads. They question whether or not he's telepathic. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a killer detail. Yeah, and just, yeah, four pages, six or eight panels at the most. Yeah, more about this guy and what he's about than we learned from all these other movies. It's fucking awesome. It was great. Uh, although it was, you know, the, 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 the cynical person in me noted that, um, yep, we, we sort of name check kind of Fantastic Four early up. We, we name check the X-Men. And then after that, we don't hear those two terms ever again. It's, it's, uh, Reed Richards and his family. It's, <laughs> Well, look, we've talked before on this show about the the rumor of Isaac Perlmutter and his fox rage. Oh, I no, I I know, but I just I thought it was sort of interesting. It's like, all right, we're 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 going to do lip service to the subfront, and Wade handled it deftly. But yeah. then after that, we will not speak of these two particular trademark terms ever again. We will talk about individual characters, and we will focus in terms of groups on the ones that we're pushing our movie properties on. So you see the the Inhumans, you see the Avengers. <laughs> oh yeah, but he still got the references in, so it, yeah. was, it was subtle. They got my dick message. So <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um. But yeah, and showing this comic is very different from the show. We got four pages of 
awesome character setup on Coulson. Now compare the whole first season where it's just, oh, Tahiti's a magical place. Yeah. And we have no idea what's going on with him. Four pages, we get all this characterization. The other complaint about the first season was, oh, it's the it's the villain of the month and there's no superhero. We get massive superhero action by the fourth page. Oh, yeah. A-list heroes, the Hulk's there, Iron Man's it, there. You get a whole story that you would not ever have a movie budget big enough to, to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a huge cross-section of, of heroes we wind up getting in this story. From, yeah, Iron Man and the Hulk to fucking Valkyrie and the Black Knight. <laughs> oh, okay. And as, and as an aside, where, you know, I've been saying, you know, New Thor is is a woman that isn't Valkyrie, and Valkyrie is over on the side going, what, no love for me? I can only be myself. Yeah. The first thing. <laughs> we, we get a full on here. Are you the new Thor? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I have to admit, and this this is not wade or uh, pacheco's fault um they drew valkyrie with these weird furry boots that i have since seen on exo uh jane uh jane what was formerly jane magazine oh like the, the, the chewbacca boots yeah the the the, the chewy shoe porn yeah the- <laughs> <laughs> and like, it pulled me out i'm like those 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 boots are two thousand dollars chewy shoe porn <laughs> i can't fully take credit for that i think that was somewhere in the comments but yeah that was the gist of it like these Okay, number one, write that down. Number two, <laughs> I, I, I'm imagining maybe, maybe five lonely, sweaty dudes across the world. <laughs> no more than that. And that might be pushing it, but. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, this, this could wind up being, if they can keep the book going, and get it into trades and like Barnes and Noble or on Amazon. If they keep going with this, with the core group from the show and this big cross section of Marvel heroes, which Wade has set it up perfect to have it in, this could really be a good entry point into the six one six Marvel universe for new readers. I, I don't this disagree. Could yeah. Be really smart. Yeah. If they market it right. Once it gets into trades. Yeah. I, I think it was, it was smart because it focused specifically on Coulson with just enough of a smattering of everybody else that you, you got the full compliment and tone of this is the Marvel 616. But you didn't need to know who everybody was. Yeah. Even if even if you did, you didn't need to know. These are all heroes. And the important thing is Coulson keeps all of this shit up in his head um, because not only is it his hobby, it's his job now, but he lives and breathes these character stats. <laughs> Yeah. Day in and day out, and and that's all you need to know. Oh, yeah. And that one panel of, I'm the guy with a plan, that is as concise a characterization of Phil Coulson as a person yeah. that you can ask for, particularly dropping him into a full-on, legit world of superheroes like the Marvel 616. Yeah. I'm a normal guy, but my job is to know about all y'all. <laughs> yeah. That said, it kind of contradicts the same guy who in Avengers was like, no, boss, this is never going to work, and then died. But Unless that was part of the plan. Him dying? Well, they they <laughs> imply... It may have been part of a plan. <laughs> it was not part of Phil's plan. No, no, because then later on in S.H.I.E.L.D., Melinda May implies to Coulson that that whole thing was part of his plan. The whole Tahiti thing and the whole nine yards... I distinctly remember a scene of Mr. Coulson being reassembled, screaming, <laughs> let me die. <laughs> he may have realized partway through that it was not a good plan. Okay. But, <laughs> all right. but I seem to recall that Coulson 
masterminded the whole machine and and all of that. Uh, I'm drawing a blank, but okay. I could be mistaken, but I feel like I'm right. I rarely watch that shit. I don't watch any fucking show so <laughs> Saturday morning cartoons. I'm still drunk from the night before. What do you want from me? <laughs> but the the one weird thing, I'm not sure if it was on purpose or just they were trying to do so much, they figured oh, somebody's reading this because they watched the show they know. But uh, I don't think Agent May's name was said once. I think it was. I'm not sure. We, we Did we even see... Do we even see Sky or, uh, we did or not Daisy see, Johnson? No, we did not see Sky. We did not see Daisy Johnson. The um, best thing was we didn't see fucking Ward, Ward slash but Agent Abercrombie and Fitch. The uh, the the running theory on on all of that is because um, Daisy Johnson already exists in the six one six elsewhere, um, so we may not see her in here. At right. least not right away. Um, the other one that you're saying, um, Ward. People aren't sure if they aren't going to show him right away because he'll be inserted in here later and we'll see more of the whole sleeper piece or because he exists as some sort of other character like Sky slash Daisy does. Okay. Um, and the running theory on that is Taskmaster. Okay. All right. So, um, but no, May is in here because she reports to a uh, Hill. Yeah, no, I definitely saw her in there. I just don't think we got her name. No, we did. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, Either way, it didn't stick to my head if I saw her. <laughs> so. And that's okay. You drink. I miss things. And that's okay. Not everything's about booze. Sometimes I'm just stupid. <laughs> but, trying to give you an out. <laughs> yeah, but that can't be the out for everything, for Christ's sake. Herder booze. But, and, and I, I think it was a, a good testament to the characterization that Wade did so quickly with Coulson showing that he's on top of everything and knows everything that that last moment with the prism where he's, you know, he said, I have absolutely no idea what this is. You know, adds a lot of weight to that moment. So yeah, here at the end epilogue, any field casualties, agent may. Okay. All right. So I missed it, but then again, it was not, if you're buying the, if you're buying the comic because you like the TV show, you know. Yeah. If you're a comic book geek, there's a 75% chance you've... <laughs> Granted, it was a slow first season, but you probably at least have it on in the background to see if something from the Marvel movie universe comes in. Yes. So, not utterly necessary, but... But yeah, it's... Now, in... There's a... A good solid setup here. We've got an ongoing mystery with this prism and who sent it and what it could mean. You know, great characterization on Coulson to start with. Start with. Yeah. I, I want to see Fitz get his helper monkey <laughs> with his with his little frequent hero card. That <laughs> Coulson. Can I get one of those? How do I get one of those? <laughs> you want a helper monkey? We'll make that fucking happen. Oh we, God! You don't need to earn a monkey. No, either. that'll terrorize Parker. Oh yeah, the, the cat will go berserk, but. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, this was, it was a really solid issue. Yes. And I'm kind of glad it came out this week where there was almost nothing because by nature it almost had to be at the top of the pile. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where I could see myself in a big week picking it up and throwing it in. It's, uh, I didn't quite get to it and having it fall off my radar. Although the interesting thing, um, in the next issue, they're going to introduce Ms. Marvel into Coulson's circles of whatever. 
<laughs> yeah. I, that's actually a story I, I had wanted for perhaps like later this season or next season for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. since they're going the Inhumans route. I was kind of hoping that they were going to find an excuse to introduce Kamala into the TV show. It'd be interesting to see how they could do that because we know Captain Captain Marvel yeah. is coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but she's not there yet. And a big part of Kamala's character, at least early on, is her inspiration right. by Captain Marvel. Yes. So I'm not sure. I mean, you can introduce the character... I suppose. I just, I, I, I'd kind of hoped that we might see her like early in like the TV show in like a minor part or, and I saw, it was on the Mary Sue. Um, somebody had written a whole piece in, in service of, all right, so Marvel, you're probably not going to get Spider-Man back from Sony in time to do civil war. So why not tell the same story with Kamala? Why not have her be, the one who both sides are fighting over in terms of unmasking. You could certainly do that, but yeah, you'd need to introduce her to the Marvel cinematic universe really fucking fast. Have her take a really point position really yeah. fucking fast. And yeah, you can, you, know, you just sort of pointed at the, the comic book. That's not going to be enough. This That's... takes place in the Marvel 616. Right. But the idea being that it might be a more poignant thing to do because Peter Parker is an everyman. Um, sure. And yes, he's got the whole, you know, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. So here's why I'm going to unmask. It becomes a bit more of a flashpoint if the masked vigilante, um, and this gets into sensitive ter territory, is um, a Pakistani Muslim female. <laughs> That's true, but part of why Spider-Man unmasking in Civil War worked as well as it did is because it was Spider-Man. Uh, even taking back, you know, oh, it's a character with a lot of history it, just in the Marvel Universe. You know, so it was a big deal for an A-list hero to unmask. Kamala certainly could be brought to A-list, but they need to do it really fast. Otherwise, yes, you get the, okay, I'm taking a big risk because I'm a Pakistani well, yeah, teenage I girl. think they have that piece to fall back on if they can't get her to A-list. Yeah, but... By, when, when is this coming out? Two years? A couple of years, yeah. Um, I think it, it still tells as an interesting story because you have... You would have a situation, I think, that you could tell a story about something that is potentially very sensitive and gets into things that might be more relevant to current events in the world now. Yeah, I mean, it can certainly work. Just because something worked in a particular way in the original comic doesn't mean you can't do something different and have it work in a different way. And that could, it could be just as effective and affecting just in a different kind of way. Yeah. But yeah, it, my initial gut is <laughs> there's a reason saying I'm Batman is iconic and I'm the elongated man isn't. <laughs> Batman's an A-list hero. And yeah, for Spider-Man to unmask, that's a big deal. Right. Be well, um, because I think you have to either go, you know, big or go home if you're going to go that route and they don't have Spider-Man. So who else would they have unmasked? Daredevil. 
that was going to be my answer. Yeah. But again, they're going to have to do just as much work to very quickly. Yeah. That for that to work, the show needs to hit and right. hit big. And that show is on Netflix when it comes out. Yeah. So it's not going to have nearly the reach. Right. Whereas if you put Kamala Khan on a even occasional basis in Agents of Shield now, throw her in an end credit somewhere. You know, <laughs> it's it, it can work. It, it it would not work in the same way, but it could be just as affecting in a different way. But yeah, she needs to be established before Captain America three for it to have any effect whatsoever. Right. Whatsoever, rather. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just here's this person we've never seen <laughs> taking off her mask, and ooh, she's Pakistani. Might be a crank. Might have no superpowers <laughs> whatsoever. Might be batshit insane. <laughs> That never happens. No. Masked vigilantes running around with delusions of grandeur. No, not at all. <laughs> Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That's not a superhero. That's a stoner. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stoners like to be in front of... <laughs> I get to stand next to Captain America. <laughs> I got my superpowers because I took drugs. Yes. <laughs> and back to Lucy. Yeah. See, everything ties together. <laughs> But yeah, it's a longer story than originally anticipated. Short, uh, yeah. Shield One was a solid book. Yes. And if you even remotely like the TV show, uh, yeah, definitely pick it up. And even if you don't, it's if you have people in your life that you've been looking to try to get into Marvel comics, this is a good entry point. Yeah, if they like the movies, they know who Agent Coulson is. And this humanizes him better than again the first fucking twenty-two hours of TV did. Yeah. And does it quickly. This is this is the superhero equivalent of the guy who knows all of the baseball stats about the most obscure players going back decades. <laughs> yeah. And for somebody, realistically, for somebody who is a fan of the Marvel movies, this is probably the best entry point I've seen. Yeah. To ease somebody into the 616. Show them a bunch of heroes quickly just so they get a taste and yeah it's it's a good entry point yes and even if you're already into it yeah it was just it was a fun book i would not want to play fantasy football or baseball versus colson no <laughs> but yeah if they could come out with that game with superheroes i'd probably play it that your, said, your birthday's coming. I'm sure I could find something. That said, we'll, <laughs> we'll get a ton of recommendations. Oh, what about this Marvel card game from 1998? What about this? And uh, I probably won't play it anyway, but <laughs> the right one I might. But. Okay. All right. So we got anything else? Uh, I think that probably is it. How do we do on time? Oh, we are at, oh, 153? Son of a bitch. <laughs> All right, then let's wrap it up. Okay. Um, Yes, uh, not sure where you found this particular episode you're listening to, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, you can email us if you want to uh, make yourself heard, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Tell us about your obscure comic book strat-o-matic type game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, recommend a game. I've never done a, a card fantasy game. If there's a cool one, I'll try it. There you go. <laughs> and Amanda will leave me in a minute. But <laughs> just picturing some sort of weird like Pokemon variant where it's like Vision, I choose you. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, right. If it's like that, don't send it to me. But <laughs> we uh, we are on Facebook, not nearly as much as we could be, but we certainly get messages through it. You can find the link to that through our website. We are on Twitter at Infinite Midlife. Yep. Uh, we, uh, are on iTunes. If you found this show through iTunes, do us a favor, shoot us a review, uh, give us a rating. Let us know what you like about the show. Don't like about the show. We like hearing from listeners. We do. Uh, we are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And I guess that is it. This has been episode 49 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and, uh, and derp. I'm doing this show sober. I'm doing okay. You are. No, really, I'm not trying to patronize. I can't stop my hands from shaking. <laughs> <laughs>